Well, hello. Yes, it's me, Phil Ryan, again at the Story Hive podcast with another hello and welcome to today's three-story episode. Ah, hmm. You'd think um, I would be kind of getting used to this because we have a little script, but sometimes I just kind of want to say hello and have a chat because the Story Hive, the idea behind it was not only to get work out there to let people hear what the stories were about and was to entertain and sometimes we hope make you stop and think about where you are in your own life and when you look at the characters that populate all the stories you may even recognize yourself inside some of them so i'll stop pontificating and being all deep and meaningful and get on straight to tell you about the first story in today's selection and it's called freedom and again there's a little twist at the end which you can actually hear me talk about in the story so let's get on with it happy listening it had been a bad year, and Nigel knew it. He wasn't daft. Life just hadn't turned out how he'd hoped. There was the breakup, the redundancy, losing Gran, and he sighed. The new flat was actually very nice. It was a fair price, handy for the shops, and it was quiet, nice neighbours. Thank God for Mike, his brother. He'd been great, always just so supportive. And he glanced out the window, and his heart lifted. There it was, the new car, on the shared drive. It was a work car, yeah, but a goal fully loaded still. Mrs Ledbetter, the line manager, she turned out to be amazing. She'd actually pushed Jenkins, the department head, hence his new car. And now Nigel sipped his coffee reflectively. I mean, on balance, the new job was much better than the old one. Same money, yeah, but much better prospects. But the best bit was the investment programme he'd read about in the brochure. Turned out that Globotech had secured two major investment injections. That bloke from the telly, the guru investment bloke. And he turned up and given a speech to the whole team. And he seemed such a nice bloke. Nigel was a tech fixer. That's what he told him. It was his official title. Mainly commercial jobs for big companies, contract stuff. Essentially, he got sent to fix stuff. And his skills were very wide ranging, mechanics, plumbing, electronics. Obviously, computers were his big thing. And best of all, he knew the company was growing. Anybody could see that. Two new guys had joined the team just last week. It was clear that business was just getting very good. Well, at first, Nigel had said to himself and his brother, I'm a bit worried. He knew, he, he just knew he just wasn't good with people. If he was honest, he was shy, and he knew it. Janice had told him that every time, well, before she left. But to his relief, the new company guys, they'd been great. They were just so friendly. There was Pat, Sunil, Susan. They were just lovely people. Suddenly, his smartwatch beeped, and he glanced at it. Okay, first job of the day, Hinkley Manor. That big spa place outside the town. Some issue with their climate control computer system or something. And now Nigel started to hum. Another day, another dollar. That week flew by. It was nothing too much. No dramas, as his father would like to say. And Nigel always thought he was just like him. Quiet and reserved. It was mum. She was the extrovert. Loud by comparison. Dad liked his shed his model railways, his workshop. But mum, 
the church, the yoga classes, the social stuff, the, oh God, what was going on, she did it. But he knew he'd got his real love of fixing things from dad. And that's why they bonded so early. First, his little toys and bikes, then the lawnmowers and stuff around the house. Then he'd been sent to technical college, the apprenticeship, and now Globotech. Tech fixer, electronics, computers, systems. He rather liked the fact he was multi-talented. Software, hardware, he had a knack for it all. That's what dad said. Mum, well, she wasn't that practical. But it didn't matter, because of course she had Nigel. An email came into his watch and he scanned it quickly. Oh, oh, wow, Mrs Ledbetter, and he grinned. It was brilliant. Apparently the lady at Hinkley Manor he chatted to, she'd only turned out to be the managing director and he'd sorted out the climate control very quickly and then he'd sorted out her computer. Suddenly, a warm glow came through him. She contacted the company. He hadn't thought anything of it, it was just being kind. But it turned out she'd written a gushing online review about him and Globotech and she named him personally, saying top class service, top class technician. Well, somehow Mr Jenkins had read it. He called Mrs Ledbetter and then she mailed him. And as he read the next section, he couldn't believe it. He'd won a company reward. He clicked on the link. A day out experience gift certificate. Not transferable, valid for six months. Oh, not so shabby. And he felt his face grow warm. Well, that's unexpected. God, I couldn't wait to tell Mum. She'd be really pleased. It turned out, on that induction day, and he remembered it now, that new bloke off the telly owned all these companies, one of them being the Happy Day Experience Company. That's what it was. That's where the prize had come from. And now, he'd won. And he couldn't stop smiling all the way home. Of course, the next day, he told Patterson and all the others about it. They'd taken the gathering on the green space at the back of the office. It was weird, really. Be like, felt part of a group, a family almost. It had become a thing, like being in a football team. But everyone he worked with was just great. No jealous, just supportive. They'd even discuss jobs, help each other out. His watch beeped. Hey, the gift certificate's come in. And then Sunil told him to open the attachment and they all gathered round and made jokes about it being spam, typical tech humour. And then a picture appeared. It was an aeroplane. Then there was a header. Experience a free-fall parachute jump, complete package included. Breakfast, lunch, jumping with an instructor. Oh my God! He was blown away. And the others started making jokes, laughing in the sunshine. Pat saying, God, how he envied him. He said he'd love to do it. He had a mate that had done it. He'd said it was one of the best things he'd ever done. It was totally safe, just brilliant, unforgettable. And how Nigel just felt so happy. Because if Pat said it was fine, then it was fine. Pat was a bit older than the others, reliable, trustworthy. And he knew that. <laughs> a parachute jump. How exciting. Well, of course, he immediately phoned Dad. And he sounded ecstatic. He kept saying if he was 25 years younger, he'd come along. His enthusiasm just so infectious. And that night, as Nigel lay in bed, he felt good. He was blooming marvellous. Considering last year, things were finally turning out good at last.
He lay back. He thought of Janice, her leaving him, being so horrible at the end. Then he pushed it from his mind. Yeah, he thought. That was over. Yesterday's news. This year was going to be the best year ever. And slowly he turned over and soon fell fast asleep. His work schedule was pretty busy now, but reasonable. Online systems calculating job lengths and stuff. It was all very precise. It was a German programme he read about. And that new investor, the bloke from the telly, he was very keen on it. I think he had shares in it. That's what Pat said. And the team all liked it too. And Nigel, for the first time in his life, didn't really feel any pressure. And sometimes the system, he thought, gave him even too much time. But he really wasn't complaining. If anything, it gave him more time on the road to drive the new Golf. It was very nippy, great handling. And he thought he'd really lucked out. He had a Bose stereo system. As he picked up and the engine roared beneath him, life just felt good. And now he whizzed up the A17. It was an easy job that day. Brooks Cash and Carry, the big outlet by the cinema multiplex. They had a trouble with some till systems. An easy job. He knew that system like the back of his hand. He told his dad all about it. He laughed. It was just probably an operator error. Easy peasy. And now he sang along to his best rock anthems playlist. And tomorrow, well, that was the big day. His experience day. He'd even bought a new shirt. And he'd liked the girl in the shop. She'd said it made him look racy. He liked that. Racy. Him. <laughs> He'd looked at himself that night in the mirror. It was white with some red stripes on the arms and collars. And then he got a new pair of cargo pants. He thought he'd wear his flying jacket that mum had got him three years ago. Very appropriate. Even had little wings on one of the shoulders. He'd read up on the day. He'd watched videos. It just looked brilliant. Parachute fun day. You jumped with a registered instructor and he controlled the entire jump, opened all the parachutes. It was just completely controlled and safe from start to finish. And now he almost shook with pleasure and he felt the engine lift and he shifted gear, narrowing his eyes. What a great little car. It was a hybrid, he liked that, very fuel efficient. And now he pressed the accelerator, the road being empty. 50, he made an engine noise in his throat. This was so cool. He saw the exit up ahead and he smoothly turned and stopped in the car park. Slowly he got his kit from the car boot. Now he ambled across the reception area, but he felt really happy. Just another job and another day. But tomorrow... If he was honest that next morning, he felt a bit nervous. Him, a parachute jump. But on the way out, he'd listened to a very interesting podcast. Parachuting was very safe, it said, his heart racing as he drove onto the airfield. And as he walked in, the smell of bacon was irresistible and highly welcoming too. The breakfast laid out, very impressive and generous. Tea, rolls, juice, muffins, fruit. He'd been pretty hungry after the early start and he didn't want to be late, so he set off an hour early. But that was just him. The sat-nav had gotten there bang on time and the aerodrome had been a very untroubling drive up the M62, off at junction 9, B17, and then off at some place called Shipley Turns. And when he got there, 
He'd felt the staff had been so welcome in such a professional setup. You could tell everything sort of neat and clean. He looked around him. It was a very mixed group. There was some young guys on a stag do, laughing and whooping, high-fiving everyone. But everyone was calm and well-behaved. There was another random group of some others, men and women, a couple of older guys. And as the morning rolled by, he couldn't help smiling. It was brilliant. They'd all sat in a big hangar, very exciting. They'd hung from harnesses, rolled on mats, learnt the basics, and they'd even pushed out from a mocked up plane doorway. It was brilliant. Practiced arm and leg movements. Of course, they'd be tandem jumping, all attached to an instructor. They'd be the one that actually deployed the parachutes, it was called. And then they started laughing at the grim humour and the safety talk. Power lines and motorways running on either side of the airfield. Best avoided, someone had said, and the joke had gone down really well. But luckily he thought, there's nothing to worry about. These guys are professionals. And what a group they were. The instructors, they were just so cool and young, super fit. He looked at all of them on the website. Seven of them had been parachute champions. He'd seen their pictures on the wall. That just inspired confidence. And everyone in the group now, well... They were just paying such close attention. Safety first. They kept saying it. That was the watchword. Nigel was a bit nervous. But he'd spoken to his dad and apparently he'd said, after lunch, you get a certificate. And he loved the idea and he was almost wriggling with pleasure now. <sighs> Life was turning around. Even mum had said so. To be fair, she'd never liked his Janice. She said she'd been stuck up and always moaning at him but it didn't matter not now not today not today of all days not here but then another thought popped into his head and it was far more pleasant it was yesterday's job it had brought an unexpected and rather lovely surprise <laughs> it only turned out the woman that was waiting to see him he'd gone to school with she now ran the IT office at Brooks Cash and Carry Stacy Stacy Orton what an amazing coincidence, she said. And they'd got on immediately and they laughed at old stories and pictures. They'd even arranged to go for a drink on Tuesday. And Nigel thought, he remembered her from school. She had all been bright and giggly, great fun. And as he sat there listening to the talk, he thought, this is going to be it, isn't it? I'm now going to meet someone. And now this, a parachute jump from an actual aeroplane. What a highlight. A bell rang and the flight leader, a guy called Steve-O, smiled. OK, time to fly. And they all chorused back. Time to fly. Just like they'd all practised in the hangar. And Nigel joined in as everybody started clapping. And the energy was just infectious and he couldn't stop smiling. He, he felt a bit nervous, yes, but Clark, the instructor, had talked to him so kindly and concerned. He'd just been brilliant. He was an Australian, very good looking. It was about safety and control, Nigel, he'd said. We don't make errors, right? He was very cool. He was tanned. He even had a little red devil tattooed on his neck. And now Nigel chatted to him as they walked across the tarmac. The jump plane looking rather small, but solid. But Nigel, of course, had read all about it, the technical stuff. It was a very, very reliable plane. And now, along with everybody else, he took his seat, waiting for the official photograph. And as he looked around, he could feel the atmosphere on the plane, just electric, everyone laughing and joking, excited and happy. 
The plane did seem very full. It, yeah, there were people packed in like sardines, crammed into every space. And then he found out why. Apparently there'd been a technical issue, that's what Steve-O had said, with the other aircraft, some warning lights that wouldn't clear. But it was all fine. They said it often happened. The engineers would sort it out, but there was nothing to be done right now. So they just put everyone, all the jumpers that day, into that one aircraft. They'd done it loads of times before. And yeah, it was a little crowded, but no point in spoiling everyone's day. That's what Steve-O had said. And they'd all laughed. Yeah. Anyway, this place will soon be empty, right? Were you lot jumping out? And now everyone cheered and clapped. And the other instructors now stood around smiling. This was just the best day. God, Nigel just, oh, he was beside himself. He looked out the window, the sky, sunny and bright. A perfect day to fly. That's what Clark had said. Absolutely perfect day, mate. And the plane's engines now briefly roared and soon they were high in the sky. Nigel turning and looking out the windows behind him. It was cloudless. What an amazing day. Suddenly he thought about Stacy next Tuesday night. Maybe he could ask her out to dinner as well. Why not? And now he adjusted his helmet. They'd all had their pictures taken early and their jumpsuits and stuff with their own phones. I know, he thought. I'll send her a picture now from inside a plane. God, that would really impress her. And he scrolled through his contacts and finding a number, he wrote a little note and pressed send. Now he put the phone away and he left it on flight mode. They'd been told this before. A bit obvious, really. And now a soft bell tone sounded and a voice came over the intercom. Reaching, jumping point. Ten minutes, stand by. Stand by. He felt his heart lift and everyone stood up, jammed tightly together. And actually he felt claustrophobic. It was just so hard to move, really. But he didn't care now. This was great. And he felt his legs shivering. He, he couldn't help himself. It was just, wow, he couldn't believe it. Me in a plane doing a parachute jump. And now his nerves almost faded when suddenly the plane violently shuddered and it dropped quickly, lurching to the left. And it threw some people around in the safety harnesses. And now an alarm beeped. Me, 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 me. Loud and insistent. That, that wasn't good, he thought. And now over the intercom, someone was shouting, bird strike, bird strike, jump now, jump now, emergency evacuation, this is not a drill, emergency evacuation, jump now, jump now. And for the first time, he felt mildly panicked. And now there was shouting, but the instructors remaining calm. Don't worry, said Steve-O. Don't worry, team, it's all good. No need to panic, but let's go now. Go, 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 go. Nigel lurched forward as someone bumped into him and he turned round. It was Clark tugging his straps. No worries, Nigel, no worries. And he grinned and banged him on the back. Let's go, people, let's go. It's time to fly. Suddenly the plane lurched sideways alarmingly again and two people fell over and a girl screamed, the alarm now sounding. Meep, meep, meep. The whole thing was just weird. This time it lurched to the right and a girl started screaming. There was a problem and Nigel couldn't see Clark, but then he could, waving to him with a big grin. People were jamming against everybody now, but Steve-O, the flight leader, he was just calm. Come on, be calm, everything's cool. And Clark shouted out, no worries, no worries, giving a double thumbs up, his face a huge smile. And now Nigel felt his heart slow again. 
They had this under control. They knew what they were doing. They were just professionals. Suddenly, right next to him, a huge door slid open with cold air rushing in and the noise was incredibly loud and people just started pushing past him, whizzing out the door quickly, others following. They were the experienced jumpers. He knew that. But as he looked around now, all that was left was the newbie team, their faces terrified, people now jamming into the doorway. And then someone jostled him heavily and he almost stumbled. And then up ahead, people were leaving the plane again, quickly. And now he was pushed forward, bodies against him, and his breath came in gasps. Suddenly, Steve-O was behind him, tugging on his harness. It's all good, it's all good, go, 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 go. And now slightly panicking, Nigel tried to turn. And then to his relief, he felt the weight of Clark behind him, the wind in the doorway whipping at his legs. And suddenly, he fell. <sighs> they were out the plane, the air cold, and they were tumbling, and he blinked behind his goggles, his collar turned up. And then they righted, almost instantly. And he pushed his arms out, remembering the morning's training, all of it clear in his mind. And now he shouted out his numbers and his drill. <gasps> left, left, ten. Right, right, ten. It, it, it was amazing. It was just like the brochure said. They, they, they were flying and the rushing air just slowed. And he stared around, the sky was blue, hardly any clouds, and he could see all the others from the group, above and below him, single, tandem, here and there, flying and floating. He just couldn't believe it. And now they gently and smoothly flipped over, and Nigel looked straight up, his heart almost stopping. The sky was so beautiful, it was vast. They spun around again, slowly and smoothly. This was just like the training video. And again he went through the routine, lifting his arms slightly. First they went left. Ten, ten, nine, nine. And he counted again, yelling the numbers out loud, just like they said. And now they went right, carefully and controlled. Legs straight, arms in. Then they were flying parallel. Five, six, seven, eight, palm up. Nigel felt the best he'd ever done in his life. It was like being Superman. Clark was amazing and so professional considering the way they'd all left. And now Nigel shouted into the rushing wind. Wow, <laughs> this is so great. It's just amazing. And he looked down below him. They were sailing along now, the ground far below, vast and green covered. And slowly it becomes get bigger in his vision. And then he could see the airfield, the power lines to the left, the motorway to the right. And he just felt so happy. He knew Clark could land them safely. And he just wished Stacy could have been there, waiting to meet him, watching him casually sail in like James Bond. And now he twisted his head back and he looked up at the now smiling face above him. It wasn't Clark, it was some other instructor. His face wearing an expression of sheer wild excitement and he looked at Nigel right in the eyes. This is amazing. Wow, the best day. I tell you, you are really an amazing instructor, mate.
Unusually, I'm going to add something else on to the end of this story, because I'd actually like to acknowledge the true source material for this story actually came from a joke told by that force of nature and wonderful human and genius, a British comedian called Tim Vine. I tell you, he's one of my favourites, and this started out as a little one-liner in one of his stage shows. So if you ever get to hear this, Tim Vine, you're a genius, and thank you. Well, you'll have noticed that I name-checked Tim uh, Tim Vine, who's just a brilliant, brilliant, funny, funny man. And it was one of his little jokes, a very short one, that inspired that entire story, which is why I thanked him actually at the end. And what I like about those sort of things is that there's a kind of an element of truth, even though it's just being a bit silly. But if you are going to go parachuting, be very careful. Anyway, time for the second story. And this one I think is rather beautiful. And it's called The Informant. Now, I'm not going to tell you anything about the story. I just want you to listen to it. And I do hope you find it as affecting as I did. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. You will appreciate we in our department rarely respond to such emails. However, the facts you state have made me conclude you do in fact seem to know certain things about this case that make it likely you could be of assistance. Of course, you're an anonymity is protected, your email being untraceable, as I'm sure you intended. So in answer to your inquiry, yes, I'm interested. I'm currently based at Adworth Police Station, should you wish to meet. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, Detective Sergeant James Hanson. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. Following up on your suggestion, and I'm still not sure how you seem to have access to certain information regarding this case, however... I'm very sorry to tell you the person concerned has a very reasonable and provable alibi for the night. So I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I do not believe I can continue our conversation. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, Detective Sergeant James Hanson. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. Of course we check the security footage at the Happy Save. This is standard police procedure. The figure in the baseball cap bears, we feel, no physical body resemblance to the person you pointed out to us. This was followed up, as I already mentioned, already. Now I consider this matter at an end. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS, James Hansen. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. I'm not sure where you're getting this information from. But you realise you can get into serious trouble for wasting police time. Now, I will allow your assertion the footage in the Appy Save is badly angled. However, as I've already said, that line of inquiry is now finished. Now, thank you for reaching out. Yours, DS, James Hansen. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. Of course I realise how serious this case is. Any murder is a very serious thing and I resent your implication and not taking it seriously. I've got a daughter of my own and the facts are we've got nothing to go on. This sadly can happen sometimes. We're not infallible but given the lack of evidence I'm not sure what you can expect me to do. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Anson. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. I've now followed up on your last suggestion, I didn't know that number 33 had a video doorbell. 
and the owners are now cooperating. Let's hope it turns something up. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Anson. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. I'm pleased to report we may be closer to an identification point. The doorbell footage seems to have captured something our specialist footage colleagues are trying to work out. Well, thanks for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Hansen. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. I know you're not going to answer this before I ask the question, but how were you aware of the dumped clothing being in that builder's skip? It was a great help, although I shouldn't reveal any information at this point because it's with our forensic colleagues as we speak. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Anson. Dear Miss X, Thank you for your inquiry. As I've already stated, I cannot reveal details of an ongoing investigation, but suffice to say, the new forensic material is proving to be very helpful. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS, James Anson. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. Sadly, I have to tell you the doorbell video footage has turned out to be inconclusive due to the rain and the poor angle. But it was a good idea. However, I'm still waiting that forensic report. I can't say much more, but thanks for reaching out to us. Yours, DS, James Anson. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. Now, I don't know why, but I have followed up on that person's last address as you suggested. And you are actually correct. A similar instance happened within that area. I'm now going to do a little bit more digging, as you said. Quite frankly, I'll take anything I can get. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS, James Hansen. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. Finally, a breakthrough. The person you identified's last address had, as you correctly identified, changed the carpeting before he vacated the property. And the new tenants have been very keen to cooperate with my colleague, DS Shah. Now, at the risk of repeating myself, I shouldn't share this information, but I'd like to thank you for your input so far. Quite how you're finding this stuff out baffles me, but I'm very glad of it. I'd also like to apologise for my earlier potential dismissive remarks. I must commend you for your insight of an adventure that perhaps you should pursue a career within the police force. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Hansen. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. At your suggestion, I did indeed reach out to the manager of the Happy Save one more time. He now remembers the small scar you mentioned. Something he was not originally made aware of in our first interview. Thanks for the prompt. This may move things along. Now, yeah, like you, I'm frustrated, the forensic lab, but I'm sure things are proceeding. Frankly, love, I think you deserve a medal for your help. It's so much appreciated. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS, James Hansen. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. I think we may have something. Dear Shah's team have obtained what I for now will term quite strong evidence. Plus, the forensic lab seems to have turned something up. As for me, I'm going to look for the bracelet in the place you described. And at the risk of sounding silly, I'd venture you're a better detective than I am. 
You really should think about signing up the force at Endon College. As promised, I'll keep you informed. And thanks for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Hanson. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. How on earth could you know about the bracelet? I'm honestly still completely baffled, but as I said earlier, I took anything I can get and, quite frankly, it was the last piece of the puzzle. It's in the public record now, as you've probably read, but Franklin Jones did live for a while in the Stretton area. The two murders of Angela Barnsbury and Debbie Smethick are now being linked to him via blood matches from the floorboards of his old flat and DNA materials from their bodies. I shouldn't be telling you this, but I feel you deserve it. And further, regarding the Crayers, for instance, the abandoned clothing found in that skip you suggested, and the fact it was seen in the Happy Safe footage, well, the clothing bore traces of both of his victims, and that scar on his face the managers described matched Franklin Jones's scar, placing him firmly in the area. And again... DNA material from their poor bodies identified him as their killer. That bracelet he kept in the hidden drawer was, as you correctly said, the property of poor little Maisie Etherington. And I can tell you, love, I can only thank you from the bottom of my heart. And once again, I would urge you to come forwards, collect a reward, plus a commendation from my commissioner for just the invaluable help. Because of you, an evil man is going to spend the rest of his life behind bars and his time, I'm glad to say, made more hard by his heinous crimes against kids. Thanks so much for reaching out to us. Yours, D.S. James Anson. Dear Maisie, Last night I reviewed all the material you'd sent me and I suddenly realised where it all must have come from. And then I thought, I'm not much of a detective, love, am I? I can't thank you enough. Rest in peace, little angel. Rest in peace. Yours with all my love, James Hanson. Well, I hope the ending got you, because it got me. It always shows me, when I come up with an ending like that, just what the imagination can dream up. And... We're influenced by things we see, TV and film and things like that, I know. But sometimes everything we do as humans is utterly unique or unique to us. So again, this is the bit where I normally talk about why don't you try writing? Why don't you try writing? But what I'd like you to do today is write about a world or an imaginary place that you ever maybe dreamed up or had a dream or when you were a child, a little place you invented. And just try and write two A4 sides, like a little story about a far away off, beautiful and wonderful imaginary place. You just try it. See where it takes you. Anyway, back to that final story. And today it's called The Shop. And I think you'd like to visit this place. The shop wasn't easy to see. It almost blended into the small corner sitting as it did at a strange angle. Maria was killing time, she knew it. Her next viewing had been cancelled, and the flat in Green Street, well, it was a tidy conversion nobody really wanted. Ugh, now she had an hour to film. Harcourt Place up after that, Miss Grey or somebody. It just was pointless going back to the office. Plus, she couldn't face seeing Grant. 
She knew she'd get nervous. Silly, she couldn't help herself. He was gorgeous. Not that he'd ever really ever noticed her. She sighed. Grant, tall, blonde, athletic. <gasps> he'd only started two months back. Everyone fancied him. He'd heard them giggling by the coffee machine, talking about him. And she really wished she had the courage. But she knew she didn't. She sighed heavily. If only. And she briefly pictured him. Behind her, a van reversed and beeped and she stepped up onto the pavement to avoid it. She'd never really noticed this street before. In fact, as she wandered along, she realised she really made it to this part of town. It was nice in a run-down kind of way, eclectic, older buildings, bit of a mix. But she preferred the Collingbrook part, the new town area with the big shopping centre. But she had to admit that little fruit and flower market she'd just passed, well, that looked quite cute. Maybe she'd pick up some roses for Mum on the way back. But then she saw it, out the corner of her eyes. The shop. It was up an alleyway, a, a cul-de-sac, the windows glinting in the morning sunlight, way up at the far end. But if she hadn't have stepped to avoid the reversing van, she'd never have seen it. It was an odd position. And slowly she wandered up, noting in passing a wool shop, an old-fashioned cobbler's, an art supply place, with a huge picture of a poppy in the window. And then she stopped. The shop front looked nice, clearly hand-painted, bright colours, stars and moons, rainbows. It looked pretty interesting, alternative, her mum would have said. The front window crammed with unusual-looking bottles and jars and pots, seemingly haphazardly placed in piles, brightly coloured and beribboned. She glanced at her watch. Yeah, there were ages before her next appointment. Yeah, why not? Maybe that's some nice shampoo, even conditioner. She was getting low, she remembered that. And the door tinkled merrily as she pushed it open, a tiny bell pinging away. In fact, it played a small melody she half remembered, which made her smile, and from the outside it looked gloomy. However, as she crossed the threshold, she found herself in a huge, bright and airy space, Lit by a soft golden glow, it came from hundreds of tiny lights, twinkling like stars in the ceiling. The whole effect was very calming, very lovely. And at the far end, a lady was sitting behind a counter, knitting or doing something with some silver-looking yarn, and she was lost in concentration. And Maria stood, uncertain at first, should she go in? But then the lady looked up and smiled. Can I help you, my love? Her voice, soft and friendly. Maria was always thrown when this happened her shyness always an issue. And she stammered, she, 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 she was just looking, thanks, and she put her head down quickly. It seemed a nice place, but the shelves, they seemed to have no order whatsoever. Different rows of bottles and jars and every size imaginable. But there didn't seem to be any signs saying which section was what, just pictures. And she picked up a pretty-looking crystal jar. There was a picture of a strawberry on its front and a label that read, Moon Strawberries for Dreaming. She put it back. Moon strawberries for dreaming? That sounded odd. And then she started reading some labels. They were amazing, strange. They were, there were three bottles of what seemed to be called height enhancer. There was a picture of two people next to each other, one much taller. Then there were some fat green pots calling themselves lie detector. She smiled to herself. Ah, they were obviously that kind of jokey thing. But still, it was a nice place for alternative gift shop. You know, fun stuff, presents. And still it smelled nice, perfume, pleasant, but it seemed familiar. 
She looked at the lady behind the counter, who now appeared to be lifting up what looked like a silver fishing net. It was four feet across. A bit unusual, thought Maria. It didn't look much like a jumper. And then she lifted her eyes. Because behind her, on the wall, a large sign read, All our products are made with fully unnatural ingredients. Which threw Maria briefly. Unnatural ingredients? Wasn't it supposed to be natural ingredients? The lady caught her eye again. Looking for anything in particular, love? Her voice again, so pleasant. But Maria let out a tiny whisper. She was still still looking, thanks. When behind her, the front door tinkled as another customer came in. And this time the little bell seemed to play a different tune. Huh, that seemed a bit odd. It was a nursery rhyme, Maria thought, but she couldn't be sure. But she felt she knew it. Maria moved behind a tall display. The new customer was an old man, smartly dressed, a crisp trilby hat on his head. He looked a little out of place, she felt. Not the sort of person you'd find in a shop like this. And behind the counter, the lady had put her odd knitting thing down, and she came out from behind it, moving towards the old man. Well, she's very graceful, Maria thought. The woman was tall and slender, her hair a pure black, the sheen actually catching the light. It was beautiful. Maria couldn't help herself now. She felt a bit nosy, and she moved closer, now hidden behind the display. The old man now spoke, his voice shaky, and he seemed a little upset, and the lady had wrapped him in a big hug. She stepped back. Oh, Charlie, love, is she bad again? And the old man nodded, and she smiled brightly. It's so difficult, Desiree, quietly said. She didn't recognise Kath this morning. Her own daughter, Desiree. She didn't recognise her. And the lady made a tusk sound, and she nodded, patting him gently on the shoulder. She thought for a second, and then she reached back to the counter and lifted up a tall jar. That was weird. It almost looked like it was glowing, thought Maria, although it was probably a trick of the light. Well, Charlie, love, let's try her on these. And then she picked up a small dart bottle and... Yeah, this. This was very good last time. He smiled, nodding emphatically, his lined face now softened. Oh, yeah, that stuff was great. What's this? He held up the jar, and the lady produced some half-moon spectacles she had around her neck on a fine chain, and she read aloud, uh, Denton's finest forget-me-not juice and baby laughter pastels. They're very good, these, Charlie. Just give it to her, you know, like it says on the label, Yeah. The old man nodded again, and his face now seemed happier, and the lady went back behind the counter, wrapping his purchases into some bright tissue paper. He smiled, reached out, and stroked her cheek, and then paid, and Maria guiltily turned back. Oh, no, that's that you know, shouldn't be staring, but forget-me-not-juice-and-babies-laughter-pastels. What kind of shop was this? It was obviously joking fun, but the old man had sounded very sad. Maria stood there. This was really confusing. Behind her, the door opened and tinkled again, and two middle-aged women came in, the bell again playing a different tune, a little melody that Maria swore she'd heard before. This was odd. And then both the women said hello to the lady, Desiree, before disappearing giggling behind a far-off shelf section in the next aisle. There was a sign above it which had a picture of two people kissing, and Maria's handbag suddenly buzzed, her phone alert. Great. Oh, now the one thirty was running two hours late. Oh, this is crazy. She couldn't stand the shop. She'd just have to leave now, go back to the office. There was tons of emails she had to clear up. Oh, God, she just didn't want to hang around in town for that long. And she briefly agonised with herself. 
Oh, God, coming back. Grant will be there in the office, his new office next to hers. <sighs> she knew she could never talk to him without blushing, and she hated herself for it, when suddenly behind her, the shop lady appeared. You're sure I can't help you, dear? Maria was a bit thrown, and before she could stop herself, she said, Well, it's my shampoo and conditioner. I I've nearly run out, but um, it's all right. The lady smiled. Well, don't worry, that's over here, my love. And she turned, and Maria shyly followed her along the next aisle. The shop seemed very big, she thought. Bigger than ever. And then the lady looked at Maria critically. Well, I think these are the best type for your hair, love. Oh, by the way, your hair's lovely. Maria felt her face redden, and she knew the lady generally meant it, but still, and she stammered a thank you. The lady now put two beautiful glass bottles into Maria's hands, both a lovely shimmering blue. But the labels looked homemade, the writing clearly in someone's handwriting. One said, Inner Beauty Enhancer and Smiles, and the other, Princess Silken Tresses and Sunbeams. And the lady caught her expression. Oh yes, don't worry, they're made, they're local, they're very good. Maria was flustered. Was this serious? Locally made shampoo? That sounded expensive, and the names were strange too. Silken tresses and sunbeams, what did that mean? And a shyness made her face blush bright red again. Oh no. But then she just nodded and followed the lady back to the counter. She didn't know what to do. She didn't want to refuse or dare ask the price. She knew she should have. She knew that. And that was silly. But she knew herself. A quiet girl, her mum told people. Kind. Sensitive. The lady smiled and wrapped the bottles. Uh, that'll be £4.50, love. Maria was thrown. For two? That seemed very cheap. The bottles looked like they'd cost more. But now she was just totally confused and she didn't know what to do. Smilingly, the lady held out a little card. Had a series of stars printed onto it. Loyalty card, love? Six stars stamped. You get a free product, yes? Maria nodded mutely, taking it and slipping it into a handbag. She knew she'd never come back here. The whole place unsettled her. This wasn't a kind of shop for her. And then the lady carefully stamped one of the stars with a golden circle. Next to her elbow sat a pile of chocolate boxes, brightly striped with a red satin bow. And the lady smiled again and held up a plate. Here you go. Had some small chocolates on it. Please try one, my love. She said, popping one into her mouth. They're freshly made. They will surprise you. Really, they will. Maria could see a sign on them, and it said, Chocolate Confidence. Confidence, she thought. <laughs> if only. But the lady indicated that Maria should pick one up, and hesitant, she did so, putting it into her mouth. This was odd. She couldn't taste anything at all. Nothing at all. <laughs> that was a relief, she felt. They could have been horrible. And now politely mumbling, very, yes, very nice, th thank you. And she fumbled in her purse, then almost gratefully left the shop. It wasn't a place for her. It was just too strange. And suddenly her phone rang. And now it was a new viewing. Great, she thought, happy at the work distraction. And she agreed to that and headed back to her car. But all the way she felt that place, the shop, it was, it was so nice, but so unsettling. And the lady, she was kind. There was the little doorbell and the perfume smell. But she pushed it from her thoughts. Now work calling. The traffic was light. But all the way back, she couldn't stop thinking about the shop. 
until eventually she pulled around the back of the office. Yeah, what a weird place, she thought. Something off, but still nice. Bah, no, not her place. The lady had obviously been kind, but yeah, not for her. But now it's time for work. She was good at her job, everyone said so. She'd been there for three years, and then someone called her name, and she glanced up. It was Alan from marketing, holding the door open, and she sped up. But then, as she stepped in the foyer, she nearly fell straight into Grant, who was coming out of his small conference room. And her face began to flush, and she felt her heart start to pound. But then, it stopped and slowed. Her mouth suddenly tingled, and a lightness filled her head. A sudden burst of chocolate flooded her taste buds. And she looked at him as Grant smiled and started to apologise. When she heard herself saying, ah, Don't be silly, Grant. You're just eager to work more, I can tell, causing him to break out into a laugh and a bright smile. And then she carried on. Look, I don't know about you, but I could murder a coffee from Davidson's. Let, let, let's go now. Yeah, I've got an hour. Do you want to come? She winked and he laughed again. Now that's a great idea. I'll just go and get my jacket. And she stood back as he almost half jogged back to his office. Maria's head still felt light. The chocolate taste now rich and creamier on her tongue. The shop suddenly brightened her head. And then Grant reappeared and Maria took his arm. I'll drive. And Grant said that would be great and gave her another big thumbs up. Mum later told people how beautiful Maria had looked at the wedding and how handsome Grant had been. And later, after the reception, she'd noted that Maria had six stamped loyalty cards in her handbag, the upstairs bathroom full of lovely products. The baby was going to be called Desiree, whichever we thought was lovely. And plus, Maria had got a new job, working part-time in a local shop. Well, I have to be honest, I wish I could find that shop myself. God knows I think I need it. Anyway, that's it for today. It's time to wrap up and say, please look at our social media. Please reach out to us. Please look at the storyhive.co.uk. And very importantly, please tell other people about us. Say, look, go check this out because there's some wonderful things, I think, that will hopefully brighten and make your day just that bit better. And so, as you know, I always like to leave you with a hope the world. And I hope the world is full of sunshine today. Bye now. Mm -hmm.